All right, guys, here at the Gut Check Project, it is now episode 32. We have an incredible show today. If you've ever suffered from ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, or anybody that you know has ever dealt with an IBD, an inflammatory bowel disease, this show is going to be incredible. We have a special guest today. And let's knock off a, a couple of our sponsors for today. We have Autron Teal. You can get your own Autron Teal at lovemytummy.com, chock full of all natural polyphenols. You'll not find a more comprehensive uh, natural collection of polyphenols to address your bloating, your IBS symptoms, et cetera. Dr. Brown, you know a little bit about Autron Teal. I know a little bit about it. And you know what I want to do to offer everybody? You said lovemytummy.com. I'm going to add a little something. Uh-oh. If you want... Your beneficial polyphenols, we're going to get into that with inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis. Just put slash KBMD. You'll save some money. Save some money. Go to lovemytummy.com slash KBMD. Dr. Brown is exactly right. Treat yourself. Treat your gut. Treat your life. Atron Teal, your bloating relief. It's what they do. Second thing, of course, here at KBMD Health, we have the Gut Check Project. At KBMD Health, we also have KBMD CBD, and you can go to kbmdhealth.com and find your own physician-vetted, CO2, all-natural extracted, COA of everything that comes out, basically anything that you want out of a CBD, we've got it. Dr. Brown? Well, the thing is, is that everybody's kind of buzzing about CBD, and I know in the Crohn's and colitis community, people are talking about it, but... It's been studies have shown that over 80% of the CBDs that people grab don't have anything that is actually on the label. And what that means is you don't really take anything or you could be taking olive oil or whatever. Uh, time and time again today, today we, we treated people uh, this morning and they said, wow, I was on like three different CBDs. And when we started the KBMD Health CBD, I'm actually noticing something. Happens all of the time. So if you want reputable CBD used clinically by a gastroenterologist, check out kbmdhealth.com. Get your own CBD today and use code GCP to save 20% on your purchase. 20%? 20%. Next, our uh, final sponsor of today's show is going to be Unrefined Bakery. If you want to get gluten-free, keto-friendly, paleo, vegan, they've got it. If you've ever wondered, I need to adhere to a special diet and I'm afraid that the food's going to taste bad, guess what? Unrefined Bakery makes great food that just so happens to fit your special diet. You know what's nuts? Every patient that we had this morning yeah. knows of uh, Ann and Taylor. They definitely do. They love them. Like these, like they are true celebrities. Watch that episode. It is awesome. Unrefined Bakery, gluten-free. They can do all the other stuff. Just watch a show. It's, it's fun. Based here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you do not have to live here to get your own Unrefined Bakery goods. You can actually go to unrefinedbakery.com, use code GUTCHECK, and you can have uh, yourself some 20% off, I believe, on your first order. Isn't that right? 20% off? Anyhow, unrefinedbakery.com, use code GUTCHECK, save some money on your first order, so make it a big one. One impromptu sponsor, Uh-oh. and just keep watching the rest of the show to figure out why. Yes. If you are a reader and you enjoy novels, go look at a book called In the End, Ooh. written by Dr. Michael Weisberg, In the End. He is an honorary sponsor of this show, Definitely. and for reasons that you will soon see later on. Yes, absolutely. As I hinted at before we got to the uh, sponsors, this is a dedicated show to ulcerative colitis and Crohn's. And we're going to be visiting with a special someone who will tell us a little bit about her story, her journey, hopefully to relate to anybody, that either yourself or a loved one, on what it's like to face these kinds of challenges. But Weisberg is a fantastic supporter of the Ulcerative Colitis and Crohn's Foundation. He knows a lot. And he's uh, it's awesome that he has a book like that available. So in the end, in the end, honorary sponsor. All right, let's start the project. All right, we are here on the Gut Check Project. It is now episode number 32. I am here today with your normal host, Dr. Kenneth Brown, and we've got a special guest, Panise Kakpour. Uh-oh. You know what? We had her, and now she can talk. Am I back? You're, no, back, everyone. you're back. Wave. <laughs> Hi. Well, hello, everyone. Nice to see y'all. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks Dr. For Brown, me. you have a moniker for her already that you just uh, anointed her with. What is that? Well, Panis has been my patient for over 12 years. What, About, what are we at? 14? Yeah. Something yeah, like something that? Like yeah, something like 12, 13. Um, I've always referred to her as the Persian princess. <laughs> And so she is the she's Dallas's own Persian princess to right the here. I'm here to the Persian here. community. Yes. This represents you in my life, the Persian princess. Uh, so sweet. She went to Iran. Uh, what about three years ago? Mm -hmm. And brought me back a hand painted. What was that? Um, it was art, but yeah, it, it was an but art it piece. Told a story. Yeah, it was. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was. I'm pretty sure it was. Um, maybe it's like an old fairy tale. It's like a couple. I think it's called uh, Leili and Majnun. I think it's their story and it's a picture of them. Wow. So, really beautiful. I took a picture of it and sent it to uh, my friend uh, Reza, who, who's a gastroenterologist oh, yeah. in Florida, okay. who's Persian also. Mm -hmm. And he goes, that's that's really expensive. Be very careful with that. And I was like, oh, oh okay. You were hanging out the window of your car. Yeah. Everybody who drove by. I was using it as a fly swatter. And I was, you know. Trying to direct traffic into Unreal. Yeah, I was. I was just like, let's go over here. You know? I was like, these Atrantil ads don't stick on it at all. So, Panis, you've had uh, Crohn's, correct? Yes. For how long? Um, 16 years. 16 years yeah. you've been a Crohn's patient. And uh, today, I think that what we really want to do is get your perspective on mm -hmm. what it was like to be diagnosed, to learn about what it was, what led you to go seek help in the first place. Mm -hmm. uh, so back at the clock a little bit. What did you first experience that drove you to go? And in fact, you didn't go to uh, Ken first. You went to another no, gastroenterologist. I was. Um, I saw a pediatric um, GI doctor in the beginning because okay. I was 15 at the time. All right. Um, yeah, I just had all these symptoms. I um, couldn't eat anything anymore. I was just constantly going to the restroom, and every time I went to a doctor, a, you know, general doctor, they said I had the flu. They'd give me antibiotics, send me on my way. A couple of days later, I'd be feeling terrible again. And that lasted several months. Um, I went to the ER multiple times to get um, IVs, but nothing seemed to help. Um, it, was, it wasn't until, it was probably my like sixth or seventh ER visit and my grandma was like, you're not going anywhere, you need to stay here. Someone needs to see you. I called an old um, pediatrician of mine um, his name was Dr. Shams and, um, he ended up, I gave him the symptoms over the phone and he said, I think I know what you may have. Um, let me call in a specialist. I was, um, hospitalized at, uh, medical city Plano and then did a colonoscopy and here we are. Well, let me ask you. So you said you were 15 at yes. the time. Mm -hmm. So freshman in high school? Uh, yeah, I, that would be a freshman. Mm -hmm. So in a, as a freshman in high school going through this, I mean, your peers at that age, adolescence, mm -hmm. what is it like trying to navigate that you internally you already know that you don't feel normal. Right. So what, what were you having to do? To I wasn't ever eating lunch. I, you know, everyone thought they're like, oh, something's wrong with her because she's not eating. Um, and at that time, you know, it's something super embarrassing. Sure. You don't know what's happening with you. And so it's not something I really talked about um, just because I I didn't know what was happening and I didn't have anyone to really talk to at the time. Um, and it wasn't until I was diagnosed, um, you know, when someone finds out you have something, they know a friend of a friend. And I um, ended up speaking to a girl who was also um, someone who has Crohn's disease and she really helped guide me kind of through the uh, initial process of everything. And it was very, very helpful. Wow. Yeah. So, and once you found her and so at this point you probably found her after you'd been officially diagnosed, yes. there, correct? Yes. So what was it like? I mean, it, it, it doesn't sound like it looking back 16 years, but there's probably at the time seems like an eternity of not knowing. Oh yeah. So what was that like? And it was, it was very hard, you know, when, you're young, all your friends are doing all these fun extracurricular activities and you just don't have the energy for it because I just, you know, was constantly sick. Um, it was very difficult and very, very lonely. Um, even though I had someone who had some experience, um, it was still, it was just that one person who wasn't, uh, who didn't even live here. So it was pretty difficult. You said a word right there that I think this resonates with a lot of my patients. You felt very lonely. Mm -hmm. The psychology of a disease like this is um, unimaginable yeah. for you mm -hmm. and for your loved ones. Would you just describe the loneliness a little bit? You know, um, 
your entire family, the ones who know and who really understand are there for you. But I mean, they only know so much. They can only help so much because they can only empathize to a certain degree. And so, you know, when you just don't have anyone to talk to, it, it feels really difficult to try to even begin, like know where to begin and who, where to go, who to talk to. Um, but I was able to find some people and um, find my way through the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. That took me a few years to even find. I had no idea about it. No one told me anything. Why did it take so long to find the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation? You know, I just don't know if it was back then. It was still something super new. You know, no one really talked about it. it it's even still now, it, there's a stigma. It's it's embarrassing. It's gross. So no one really talks about it. Um, but it took me several years until I knew that there was such a thing uh, as the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Um, but after, it took me a lot of Googling, lots and lots of Googling until I was able to find it. So, but leading up to that, you you get this diagnosis and as you're trying to educate yourself and you haven't found the foundation mm -hmm. yet, what type of changes did your pediatric gastroenterologist ask for you to make? What were you, did you have difficulty with compliance? What was it like to step out of there and say, I've got this diagnosis and yeah. now I kind of have an idea of what mm -hmm. I need to do? What, how would, how'd you handle that? I mean, it was hard. You're 15 and do you, you know, don't you're not usually on some type of regimen. You just kind of live your life as normal as can be. But when, with this change, um, I was taking 15 pills a day um, when I was barely even taking a Tylenol before that. You know, I struggled taking pills. Um, and then, yeah, he just told me I had to, you know, watch what I eat, see what my triggers are, um, be on this you know, diet of pills, you know, that's pretty much what I, was, what I was consuming. And so my entire day was spent taking medication. And so I didn't have really have time to have friends, really go out and do anything because I was at home taking medication sure. and then going to bed. I, it's, it's weird because I smile when you say this because I've seen you progress mm -hmm. over these years yeah. and become this in tremendous advocate and this yeah. super, I mean, healthy, you, you radiate this energy right now. Thanks. And that uh, could bring so much hope yeah. to a parent that has a child that was recently diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want this episode to be about. Yeah. Your story, what I love hearing the questions that Eric is asking mm -hmm. you are the, well, wait a minute, what, what is this? Because as a gastroenterologist, and this is probably what you experienced, it's like, look, this is your disease. It's either fibrostenosing mm -hmm. or it's ulcerative. Mm -hmm. These are our options. Where do we go from here? He's asking life questions. He has an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old. Yeah. Is Max 16 now? Yeah, two weeks. Yeah. Two weeks. Okay, he's getting real close. <laughs> so he's asking it as a parent. Yeah. Well, what happened? This mm -hmm. and that. I'm listening to this and I'm like, I ask it as a clinician. So anyways, keep going. I love I love <laughs> where you're going with this. I love it. I mean, it, it, love it, love it took it, love me many years to get here. Um, it was definitely a bumpy road and it, I had lots of um, highs, high and low moments, but you know, right now I consider it being a really high moment. I, I feel good. I'm in a good place, but you know, with all the struggles and all the things I had to get through with, you know, taking medication every day, having to be, um, doing IVs every six weeks, like mm. that was insane. Like what 15 year old does that, you know, like that's, it was a whole new territory. So making a change, uh, you talked about, uh, that he said, watch what you eat and pay attention to your triggers. My mm -hmm. wife was recently diagnosed with celiac disease. And for her, mm -hmm. there's, there's an interface, right? Uh, we used to enjoy just sipping on a cold beer every yeah. now and then that, and that's gone. Mm -hmm. So that's not, that's not the end of the world, but the changes obviously for her are more stark when your family gets together or you want to, you're on a road trip. Mm -hmm. There's just certain things that were cut out. What was it like to you to discover these are my trigger foods. These are the things I can't do. I've got my circle of friends that may or may not fully understand mm -hmm. what I'm dealing with. How did you integrate back to, I've got it. At some point you're going to get a crossroads. I got to get my social life back in order. Right. So what did you do? Well, first I educated all my friends. Mm -hmm. That's the big step because if they don't know what you're going through, if they don't understand what the disease is, then they have zero empathy for you. Um, they don't really understand. What'd you say to them? <laughs> well, I have Crohn's disease and they look at me, their eyes go cross. They're like, what is that? I'm like, well, you know, it's a digestive disease. I try to use words as simple as I can for them to understand. I'm like, basically I can't eat lots of things because my body rejects it. And half the time I say, if you want to know more, just go Google it. Cause I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of all the things. So just go look it up. But that, that helped. And then finding out which friends were 
you know, there for you and which friends were not, that was really helpful. Um, and then with diet changes and just lifestyle changes, um, I had to, I learned that I had to be present for the things I could be present for. And if um, I couldn't, then I had to listen to my body and say no. And really just crossing my fingers and hoping that my my friends would be empathetic to that. So for Panese, think about the, the one small advantage that she did have was turning her friends to Google. Because think of someone just a decade before that, mm-hmm. having this type of disease, trying to share that experience with their new diagnosis with their friends. They're like, go to the library and look whatever up if you can. And that's just not yeah. going to happen. As an adult doctor, I have the advantage of sitting down with somebody that has either been handed off to me by mm-hmm. our pediatric doctors. Mm-hmm. D-Hat has some incredible ones. Annette Whitney, Kendall Brown, John Baker, Jack Ann. Definitely. We've got incredible doctors. Yeah. So I get the pre-prepared family. Mm-hmm. And now, at this stage of my career, my patients are, their their children are starting to show up. We're seeing more of this disease. Yeah. So when I said, what did you say? Because I don't know how much to vomit on somebody. Yeah. And, well, quite honestly, I met you when you came into the hospital as a flare, and the only thing, I was thinking back, I'm like, we're gonna have Paniz on, and she's been my patient for a long time, and you're, you're an incredible patient, and you do everything that you're, that you're supposed to do, and you're an advocate, and we're gonna mm-hmm. get into all of that, mm-hmm. about how you've been giving back, and how important people like you are, coming on the show and doing this, and being part of the Crohn's Colitis Society. I remember one thing, I remember your mom crying. Mm-hmm. That's all I remember about the whole inpatient experience, because it was, too much. Well, maybe maybe she, maybe your mom was curious about the challenges it was going to be to you, and I'm going to ask you about that in a second. Sure. But the second, the second thing I was kind of curious about that may lead into why her mom would would cry because I think that that's anybody who cares for their kids going to be upset. But yeah. um, what was it that the physician said would happen if you didn't make these appropriate changes? And what what did you begin to learn the risks would be if you didn't become a compliant patient? Because at some point, for some patients, it doesn't matter. They just kind of like, I don't really care. I'm just going to keep living. And yeah. then they suffer the consequences. That's not the route that you took. So right. what did you hear that made you decide, I'm going to do this? It was mainly how I felt. Um, I didn't want to feel terrible anymore. I was very tired. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, That's what I remember telling myself um, when I was really young is, I'm tired of feeling this way. And um, my doctors at the time, um, they just said, listen, if you're not going to do this, you're not going to get better. You're just going to get worse. You're going to have to have surgeries. You're going to have to do all these other things. And mainly the surgery is what really scared me, um, especially being so young, mm-hmm. um, because most people don't have to go through that stuff. Um, but it was mainly just really not wanting to feel that way anymore. Um, and I must say, there was a period in my time where I wasn't compliant. And that's when I met you. And that was really what changed everything for me is because... Um, a doctor changed my medication and I didn't really take it because it was a pill. I was on IV before and then it changed um, and I got super sick and I was in the big, big flares when I met you. And after that, I was like, I never want to feel like this again. Like it was not worth it. Was the risk of a, of a colectomy or anything else like that kind of on your radar? Did you think that that might ever happen to you? That's always on the, like the back burner. I always think that like in the back of my mind, like there's always a chance for all of that. Sure. Yeah. So let's, for everybody else that's listening, that's mm-hmm. not familiar that, yeah. I mean, there, our audience is getting pretty broad right now. And for those people that don't know what Crohn's is, that's why I wanted to say, what did you tell your friends what Crohn's is? And you said, I couldn't eat certain things. Right. Let me rephrase it now. Right that you're, um, you've had it for a few years. Mm -hmm. What would you tell people what Crohn's is? I would just say it's a digestive disease. Um, It's an autoimmune disease. Um, And so basically my body doesn't know what's happening, so it's attacking itself. Um, And with that comes all these terrible side effects. Yeah. That pretty much sums it up. Definitely. That is beautiful. Everybody makes it too complex. That, so you went from... I'm talking, so what you are gifted with is the ability to understand what your peer will will, mm-hmm. will hear, which is, I can't say autoimmune, I can't say all this, I'm just gonna say, what I struggle with as mm-hmm. a doctor is how much do you wanna hear about this? Right. So when you were 15, you said, look, the bottom line is, I just can't eat certain things, and I may get sick. Mm-hmm. Now you're like, look, here's the deal. Yeah. My body's attacking my own intestines, mm-hmm. that's what Crohn's is. Mm-hmm. We're gonna leave it at that. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. So do you wanna get into uh, to mom? 
because this is something uh, just for the audience this is something <coughs> before you even got here panese that mm-hmm. kim was like I, the thing i never forgot is how resilient panese was mm-hmm. and how much your mom apparently and i've, I've never met her but was concerned about yeah. your future mm-hmm. so we each every single episode we grow and we we find new ways we we find new science and i become a better doctor because of it i mean eric sees the patients he puts them all to sleep and when i asked you to come on the show it was because of the emotional aspect of being a parent it wasn't so much that you cuz you're amazing i mean like you persevered and we're going to get to the Oasis camp right. where you've been a counselor. We're mm-hmm. going to get to the fact that you're a speech pathologist mm-hmm. for underprivileged autistic kids. Yes. <laughs> so you are up here. I just always thought, did your mom know you were going to do that when you were diagnosed? You know, I don't think so. Yeah, um, I mean, you have all the hopes, but there was a time where the disease was all that I was and that very much defined, defined me and mm-hmm. my life. And I think that was a big struggle for her because um, you never want to see your child sick and in a hospital bed with hooked up to all these wires and IVs. And that's just a terrible sight. Um, she struggled a lot. Um, my entire family did. My grandmother, my brother, my dad, but a lot my mom because she was my main t- caretaker. She was there for every step of the way. Um, but I don't think she ever thought that I'd be doing all these great things and being, you know, self-sufficient. <laughs> it's a story of perseverance. It's a story of giving back. It's a story of sharing and caring and doing this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's um, so we we were at the Crohn's and Colitis annual gala where my partner, Dr. Mike Weisberg, was being honored as person of the year. Yes. And gave an incredible touching speech um, or keynote speech, I should say, where I thought it was just I mean, I admire public speaking because just like you're doing right now, being on a mic is not so easy sometimes. <laughs> no, and, not. But you're crushing it. Well not but, only is he a gastroenterologist, didn't you didn't you tell me once before that his one of his kiddos has uh IBD of some kind? Yes. So leading it up to this, mm-hmm. and I wanna ask a favor of you, Panis, sure. because it's gonna take a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Um so I actually called Dr. Weisberg, Dr. Mike Weisberg last night, and I said, hey, I'm gonna bring a Crohn's patient on, and I know that your son had Crohn's because you discussed it in your keynote speech. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll tell you what, I've worked with him for 17 years, and I had no idea this was going on. So it was like, it's like the duck with the, with the flippers. Right. You gotta keep your game face on, go to work, just like you've probably done a million times. Right, <laughs> yep. You feel like, you know what, and you're- Gotta cut- Pushing through. Push through. through. I got to tell you that, um, just a quick side note before we get back to that really quick. Crohn's patients, I have to tell them that they're sick. They're like, no, 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 I'm good. I've been worse. I've been worse. They're tough as nails. Like Crohn's people just, like at some point they just start sucking it up and they're like, no, I'm just going to deal. Screw you. I'm not, I I, I feel sick, but I'm sick of being sick. sick. (laughs) Yep. You've done that to me actually before. I have. I keep trying to make her sicker than what she is. I'm like, your <laughs> blood work. <laughs> well, no. I, I remember one time I was I was very is during my second flare, and I um, came in to see you. You had my blood work, and I was, you know, I dressed up for the day, trying to make myself feel good. You know, if you look good, you feel good, type of thing. And you made me walk to the emergency to, to the hospital, and I put a gown on because you're like, you're very sick. And I didn't know it because I was like, I'm fine. I'm strong. I got really? this. And I wasn't. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So when I called Mike last night, I was I just wanted like, hey, what was it like being the parent of a Crohn's patient? And so as it so happens, Dr. Weisberg, um, whom I admire very much, he's been my partner for years. He was awarded Person of the Year mm-hmm. for the Crohn's and Colitis Society. He is also an award-winning author of two novels, The Hospitalist and In the End, that we discussed as an honorary. And rather than just sit there and throw you know, two lines. Oh, it's, it's tough being a parent of it. He wrote, um, a little bit. And if you guys would humor me, give me just about five minutes. This experience is something that, um, I want every parent to share. If you have a sick kid, I would like people to realize because what he showed here and he just wrote this in an email and I, I read it this morning and I went, Holy cow. So he wrote it last night. So I'm going to read it. And this is from Dr. Weisberg, verbatim, no changes. All right. 
When I think back 13 years to when my son Reed was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, my mind flooded with vivid scenes and emotions. I will try to relate some of them to you in the next few minutes. Reed had never been a very active child. He was never one to ask to go out to play football or ride his bike. We just assumed that he was a laid-back kid, a cerebral kid, who enjoyed playing on the computer and playing video games more. At age 12, we decided to send him to sleepaway camp, which is um, not Oasis, Mm -hmm. a traditional camp. Sleepaway camp for a month over the summer, along with his nine-year-old brother, Brent. In order to go, Reed had to have a camp physical, which my wife and I thought was routine. I was working that night when my wife called me and told me that the physical exam revealed that Reed hadn't grown an inch in the past year and had actually lost two pounds. Plus, blood work showed that he was severely anemic. I felt guilty that I had not thought of this as a cause of Reed's easy fatigability and avoidance of strenuous activity. But as I thought about it more, I realized that night that Reed may have Crohn's disease. I had suffered from a related disease called iritis, which is Crohn's disease of the eyes. And my sister had been diagnosed with Crohn's several years before. I knew that Crohn's presented in Reed's age group and that all his symptoms fit this diagnosis. At 7.30 that night, I drove frantically to the pediatrician's office wanting answers, and I pounded on the doors of the locked offices for 20 minutes until I realized that it was futile. Since I was a gastroenterologist treating Crohn's patients, I knew what a devastating disease it was and I became terrified. When I got home that night, I personally examined Reed and found that he had an anal fissure, which he hadn't told anyone. He'd been having rectal bleeding. Reed's younger brother went to summer camp alone that summer because Reed was too sick to go. My wife was too upset to drive Brent to the airport, so she stayed at home with Reed while I drove Brent and dodged all the other parents' questions about why Reed wasn't going. I met my wife in a park in between our home and office one day at lunchtime, and we just sat, talked, held hands, and cried. We had no idea how extensive and severe Reed's disease was, but as his parents, we felt so sad for him and what he had been going through and what the future would entail. I personally felt tremendous guilt. I felt that I had given my son this disease and it was my fault that he was sick. I talked to my wife and several friends who told me that if I took all the blame for Reed's illness, then I must also take all the credit for his admirable traits, such as his intelligence, his sense of humor, and his willingness to work hard to achieve things. For a very long time, these arguments did nothing to assuage my guilt, and it was only after Reed felt better that I quit being so hard on myself. We took Reed to a gastroenterologist who did his colonoscopy while I stood in the endoscopy room watching. I saw all the damage the Crohn's had done to Reed's intestines Mm. on the television screen as the scope made its way around the colon. Afterwards, I had to go to work. And even though I felt depressed and upset and guilty, I never missed a day of work or missed treating a patient due to my grief. Reed was started on Amuran and we waited for him to get better. Instead of getting better, Reed worsened. He had more fatigue and high fevers, and his liver test went through the roof. The Imran was stopped just as we left for a family reunion on Amelia Island in Florida. I talked to his gastroenterologist the night before we left, and he told me it was okay for Reed to go, but to take him to the hospital first for two sets of blood cultures. I drove Reed at at 10 p.m. to my hospital and had blood cultures done. The trip to Amelia Island was a disaster. Reed was sick, had high fevers the whole time, and I finally found a doctor in the box where they were willing to give him some antibiotics. Reed loved to fish, but the day of our deep sea fishing trip, he was sick the entire time. He lay in the boat's cabin and vomited into a pail where he lay. I could go on with memories forever. Overall, until we took Reed to see Marla Dabinsky, an IBD expert in Los Angeles, he was constantly sick with pain, fever, diarrhea, and anemia. Marla did testing, put him on Remicade, which he took for six months until developing an anaphylactic reaction. I was scoping at the time that he had this, 
in the same building I was, so I had to run and see my son go through an anaphylactic reaction. I had the Remicade stopped and Dr. Dubinsky switched him to Humira, which he was on along with methotrexate for 12 years. He stopped the methotrexate last year and is now only on Humira shots every two weeks. It was hard giving my son a shot every two weeks, but he was so brave and never once complained. I could tell you that I felt depressed, devastated, and guilty, and that the light in my life had been turned off. That is until Reed started getting better. Boy, did he ever. He started to grow and gain weight, started having a physique that resembled his classmates instead of a skeleton. He went into remission, grew to a normal height and weight. This summer, he will graduate from medical school and start a residency in internal medicine. I am extremely proud of all he has accomplished, but even more proud of the person he is. He never complained, never cried, why me? but instead has met each challenge head on and fought until he won. When I asked him why he wanted to be a doctor, he told me that he wanted to be like me and help make people better. He wanted to be a healer. The light in my life is back on, and I am certain that I will be alive the day a cure for these diseases is found. An impromptu thought by Dr. Michael Weisberg when I just said, what's it like being the parent of a Crohn's kid? What? Why so short? Why no detail? <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why his books are so good. <laughs> no, seriously, uh, Dr. Weisberg, thank you so much for the submission. That's an, that's an incredible story. Yeah. How, how do you think your, your mom would relate to that? 100%. Like the feeling of guilt. I think that my mom and my father felt that for many years. Um, and I still think they sometimes do still to this day. Really? You know, I don't think that ever really goes away. Um, but yeah, the, the guilt, the depression, just feeling helpless that you can't do anything for your child. Did your parents have to watch you try, like we've seen a lot of Crohn's patients do, the, the drug hopping from Imuran to Remicade to Humira, et cetera, till you finally find some mix that works for you and then i mean did you did you have to endure anything like that well luckily no not really yes. um i was on a bunch of like i was on imuran and all these other things um when i was first diagnosed mm -hmm. but i was also started on remicade and um i've pretty much been on remicade ever since i took a year off and that's when i met dr brown because i wasn't um, compliant with the medication i was taking but i've been able to go back and remicade and that's pretty much all i've ever really been on Luckily, knock on wood. <laughs> One of the coolest things here is in, we forget, we, we take the burden of everything, but the fact that Dr. Weisberg noted that his friends and family and his wife said, hey, there's a lot of great traits. There's a lot of great traits. Do, do I mean, it's so hard as a parent to go, I mean, except for Eric. Every time Gage scores, he's like, that's my son. <laughs> <laughs> That's me out there. Yeah, that's, no, he doesn't. Do that I, I live vicariously through everyone I know. No, but it's so funny because as parents, that's what we do as parents is we just say, "What did I do wrong? How could I have changed something?" Because my child may be sick, and I don't think it stops at Crohn's or colitis. I think it, you know, anything juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Um, I don't want to get into the. You know, the cancers and things like that. Everybody says, what could I have done different? Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating to think that it's exactly right. The same characteristics that Reed developed, um, or at least had all along, allowed him to now, uh, he's going to be a badass doctor. Mm -hmm. A real badass doctor. And I've met him, and he's taller than me. And, I mean, he's a, he's nice. a stud. Nice. Yeah, you met him at the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, didn't well, you? Well, I actually knew him through Camp Oasis, actually. Oh! That's where I met him. <laughs> we, we need to Years talk ago. about that. What yeah. is Camp Oasis? <laughs> well, Camp Oasis is a camp for kids with IBD, um, Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, to come for about a week um, to just live like a normal kid and have fun at camp. Um, it's probably the best thing I do in my life every year. Um, nice. I've been going for, I think, about seven years or so, best time of my life. I thought your doctor visits for me were the best thing. In no, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's like <laughs> neck and neck, it's close tie. <laughs> so, uh, Camp Oasis, if I remember correctly, there are twelve states that have a location mm -hmm. that, that uh, routinely host these kiddos with uh, UC or Crohn's. And then I think the one here in Texas is what outside of Bruceville. Um, yeah, now it's um, it was in Bruceville. Now it's someplace called 
I'm not sure. You know, I'll, I'll, Texas has so many little towns. Sure. I'm not really sure. But yeah, it's some. It's like two hours outside of Dallas. Okay, nice. And, yeah. it, and so, but it's directly affiliated with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, correct? Yes. And so supporting the Camp Oasis, it's you're going to have the latest research, the latest techniques, the, the best quote-unquote training for a kiddo to learn how to deal with the situation, right? Well, you know, they have, it's basically a week where they can feel like they um, are heard, are noticed. They have other friends there who also have the same disease they have. Right. And most of the counselors who are there, not all of them, but most of them also have IBD. And so it's just like everything you could possibly want in life in a week. So if somebody feels comfortable, they say, my belly hurts. It's, oh yeah, we have a whole med staff, everything like you were mentioning, we have we have a whole med staff, nurses, child life specialists, psychologists, everything, every, everything they would possibly need, they have there. So would you say by attending a camp like that, having this disease affliction that you begin to learn, I can have a normal life. Yeah. The, these people are making it, or I remember when I felt like that, you probably serve as a mentor if you just happen to be further along than somebody else. Definitely, right? I mean, I feel, I, I wish I went to camp as a kid, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't. So I'm lucky to be able to go as an adult. But yeah, they, they see all these adults doing all these wonderful things like read, going to medical school, and they see, oh, I can do that. If they can do it and they have the same disease I have and they've have had surgery, they've done all the things I've done, I can do the same thing. It's and fantastic. It's wonderful. What was your first year like as a counselor? Because it had to bring back a lot of memories of what you experienced. I mean, it was it was sad in a sense because you just see all these kids like I don't remember myself, you know, as a child like dealing with all these things, but you just see them and you just see how strong they are and how happy they are and how they like you say they persevere and I'm like, how? Even though I was the same, but I just you see it and you're like, it's incredible. And every year I go, I cry because some kid says something super motivating and inspirational. I'm like, I don't know if I'm doing anything for you because you're the one helping me like feel like I'm there to live a better life. Like, it's all so it's cool. all them. It's really wonderful. But yeah, the first year was intimidating because I didn't know anyone. I'm meeting all these people with Crohn's and colitis. Like that's super cool. But at the end of the day, you you leave with the family and we've all been together ever since. <laughs> that is awesome. How many times have we heard themes on this show with, from guests that giving is the best getting that you can do? Absolutely. I mean, it really is. Absolutely. When uh, I'm curious as um, there's a doctor, you said that there's a doctor that runs this every year? Well, yeah. So um, it's it's the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation sets it up and then they have a pediatric doctor come along just because if there's a flare, if the child needs medication, we, they hand all the medicine, everything. Um, they, they do it all. Um, and yeah, there is a pediatric GI who comes along um, and does everything. Just the whole idea of just being a normal kid and still experiencing your normal symptoms, mm-hmm. and it's not like blown out of proportion. It's not like overreact. It's like okay, come on over here. Mm-hmm. Let's go over. Yeah, yeah. You're not going home. We're gonna we're gonna make you feel better. Yeah, that's cool. Absolutely. And you can. I, I noticed on the website that uh, uh, most people can volunteer if they yep. wish to, mm-hmm. and you can donate obviously mm-hmm. directly to the camp through uh, the uh, Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. So it's obviously an incredible resource for people who are young and, and, and newly diagnosed. Yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot here, mm-hmm. but it, was there ever a time that you ever were, uh, well, this I'm really putting you on the spot because because <laughs> I think of like a healthcare provider. If I'm in a camp with people that potentially get sick on me, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like worst case scenario person. So were you ever in a position where you felt that um, you were worried for somebody? Um. Yes and no. Yes, because they weren't feeling well or they, you know, have been vomiting a lot or something, you know, because a lot it's in the summer. So there's a lot of heat. But no, because we have fully staffed with all these smart doctors and nurses who come and help the kids. So like there was never a time where you're like, oh, this is not going to be good because they're fine. They're in safe hands. That's awesome. (laughs) That is awesome. Well, um, what can people do if they wanted to connect with uh, someone from Camp Oasis and let's say that they have a child that they want to get enrolled, but they may not live close. Is there a, a particular resource or a way for them to get in touch with counselors to do that? I would say just going to the website mm-hmm. um, would be the best starting point. 
Crohn's and Colitis or yes, the, the Crohn's um, and Colitis. Oasis? Okay, the, yeah, Crohn's because that will take you to the camp um, website. And, and depending on where you live, you can see where um, the closest camp is. And then I think there's always an email or a phone number for the director who like sets up, sets it up for every state. Man, you know what I'm sitting there thinking? I'm just like, wow, it's it would be really cool for like I'm hearing this. Like I learned about Camp Oasis from you. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I, I feel like like a jerk. Like I've been involved sooner than that. And then I went home and talked to my kids a little bit about it. And they're just like, wow, that's right. And I'm sure that there's a lot of different camps for different illnesses. Oh, and yeah. you realize that there's a lot of people giving back oh, all that, over. That brings my, that, that brings up my next question. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, not that far from here for juvenile diabetics, there's a place called Camp Sweeney. Mm-hmm. Oh, and when, there we go. When people go, and I was, a, I was a maintenance man there when I was in high school. but <laughs> He was the janitor. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, Come a far away. <laughs> She's over here going, wow, you've come a long way. I had Crohn's almost died and I'm uh, doing this, but you. I guess you got out of your truck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But but the thing that I found kind of interesting is almost, and I'm kind of curious if it's the same for for Camp Oasis, the first time that someone came to Camp Sweeney, sometimes there was a a chance they were reluctant to get out. Mm -hmm. They didn't really know why they were going. They really didn't know what they were going to get out of it. They kind of had to be talked into it by their parents. Mm-hmm. And then when they got there, you saw it within the first 24 hours. Oh my gosh, these are my people. I mean, these are my mm-hmm. people. Yep. They understand what I'm doing. So I guess I'm just saying that for someone who may be new to Camp Oasis and you have a kiddo, you get them, get them inoculated, get into a round and, and to talk to someone. Yeah. I mean, it, it's super helpful. I, I, I've seen kids who are newly diagnosed coming to camp for the first time crying. Cause they're like, I don't know anything. I don't know anyone. Like I'm super nervous. They leave crying, but not be, but because they're happy that they met all these friends and that they're sad to, to leave. They don't sure. want to leave. And so everyone starts crying. What but an like, impact. That is so cool. It's the best. I mean, I, you know, whoever wants to apply to be a counselor, I think for the Texas uh, camp, it's open. Um, so you should come, come hang out. That's awesome. Well, right. well, no, we have a whole new topic that I want to get into. Uh oh. Oh yes, because I've known Panis, the Persian princess, for a long time. <laughs> this is and where have, Eric has no idea what the hell's yeah. happening. And I've watched. Well, she has gone on uh, to not only be a camp oasis counselor, but she's doing something which I think is fascinating. It's huge. And now we're going to talk about something else that is a passion of mine, which is autism. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know that. Sorry. Will you give a little background about your education and now what you're doing? Because if you want to talk about the one, two punch, you're giving back camp oasis and (laughs) wow, that was just the jab. Now we got the right cross coming. This is cool. You know, got to do a lot. Um, (laughs) so I, um, actually I, um, went to university of North Texas here in in Denton. Um, wonderful school. Um, I um, studied speech language pathology slash audiology. So I have an undergrad degree in that. Um, so technically right now I am a speech pathology assistant, but I'm working on my grad school applications at the moment. You speak better than us. So you're, you're the master <laughs> in this room. Thank you. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> she speak English real good. You know, lots of practice. Um, but yeah, so I work um, with most of the kids I work with right now have autism. And it's it's quite a job. It's actually pretty fun. But it's not just um, autism. It's actually autism for a lot of underprivileged kids. Yes, for underprivileged kids. Yeah. And so what so so Panese and I were talking about this because autism, I'm a huge advocate of the gut brain access mm-hmm. and that if you heal the gut and you feed the gut then it will heal the brain. Mm -hmm. And we got into a discussion. So you asked all those questions at the beginning of the show. Mm -hmm. What did your pediatric gastroenterologist do? What did he recommend for diet recommendations? What did he do this and that? So I'm sitting with Panese in my office and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Um, Can you get them to go gluten-free? Can you get them to go whole food? And she's like, whoa, let me tell you about my patient population first. Because describe what the typical person lifestyle is and their their home life I mean most of them are lower income and so with that brings just difficulty in buying just healthier foods um, and having access to a lot of stuff um, I was talking to a parent actually who ha- had to take their child to the doctor and they waited eight hours so I'm like they just oh. don't have the access to a lot of things and so they're not 
eating as well as they should, or they may not be doing the things that, you know, you and I have easy access to. So that's what makes it a little bit harder. So a couple episodes ago, uh, episode 28, Doug Wan was on here and I challenged him with the same thing. He is in, uh, he's a medical doctor that's an advocate for whole food plant-based. And I said, well, the problem with that is, is that when you say whole food plant-based, you think of going to whole foods and spending a lot of money. Yeah. And I, and he told me that, no, you can do it really cheap. And he gave prices. He discussed the price of doing lentils versus as long, um, Art, oh my gosh, I can go down rabbit holes on this one. Our secret weapon, which we'll reveal one day, yeah. sent me some incredible <laughs> articles on um, manufactured fibers or fibers that um, that are added to foods to augment the plant-based diet, mm-hmm. to do things like that, and the inflammatory process that it actually causes. So if you're opening up a package, I mean, just the means that they put stuff in there which will cause an inflammatory reaction in your body. I know that that leads to intestinal inflammation resulting in brain inflammation. So on Doug's episode, we discussed how you can buy for pennies on the dollar foods which will supply thiamine, which, I mean, he's got the vitamins down, he's got the fiber down. So the misconception is that you can actually take a a parent and say, don't go through the drive-thru at McDonald's, it seems cheap, when... If you can just go to the periphery of the grocery store, it's always the periphery. Yeah, it's not the middle. Mm-hmm. Not the middle. Do not walk down the aisles. Just walk around the outside. You'll be able to fill your cart with um, sustainable foods, which provide most of the nutrients that you will need, and you can do it at a cost savings. And it it hurts my feelings that I mean I feel like you're doing an uphill battle right now. Camp Oasis is awesome. That mm-hmm. is like you crush it right there. Now you're going and you're helping autistic kids that when they go home, probably the parents are not educated enough or, well, nobody is. It's America. Nobody's educated enough on how to properly eat. I'm not. I'm learning. Well, think about the challenge that you said about the mom who has to wait with the kiddo for eight hours. That's a work day for her. Mm -hmm. It's a work day for the dad. I mean, if they're sitting there doing that, they're negotiating. I'm going, we are going to have to do without because we have to go and do this and we're going to waste all day waiting. So let's go back to the parent perspective again. So now you have an autistic child that you are trying to work on their speech capability Mm -hmm. to express their emotions. And a parent shows up and says, we need to pick them up. What's your interaction with the parents? Um, it's not too much. It's usually like every time I see their child, it's maybe like a four or five minute conversation. So not a whole bunch just because in that conversation is this is what we did today. These are the things you should try to do at home and see you next time. That's basically as much as we really get because most of it's spent with that child. So it's a little hard. <laughs> I could just imagine what happens with somebody who is worried about paying next month's rent. Yeah, yeah. And they have a child that it, it has some trouble communicating on the um, autism spectrum mm-hmm. disorder. It's uh, the the ability to become empathetic to that situation. You have that ability because you have Crohn's disease, and yep. you have muscled through it, and you chose a career which could be one of the more difficult uphill <laughs> battles to yeah. change a the underprivileged autistic community. And I commend you on that. That is Thank you. awesome. That is, it is a bold, bold thing. Definitely. But I could totally see, um, man, it's a hierarchy of needs. I have a, a um, I have a patient who's, uh, they actually corrected their, their child's autism, but they also have the resources. Sure. The intelligence, they, I mean, intelligence, meaning they're both like super educated and deep dive and didn't stop at the traditional medical thing. And Mm -hmm. they started looking at all kinds of alternative therapies like hyperbaric oxygen chambers, which Mm -hmm. that they purchased for their house. And they, I mean, stuff that, I mean, whenever they come, I don't even know why they even come to see me. I'm just like, so what do you want? I'm like, what have you read that you're going to teach me? (laughs) I got several patients like that where I'm like, we should probably be at a coffee shop because I learned from you. But 
What's it like to have to have a kiddo who who has a breakthrough after the training? So maybe you have somebody who's been nonverbal, mm-hmm. and then suddenly they it's the greatest. Like every, you know, if I'm someone else looking in, it may not seem like a very big change, but from someone who doesn't say anything to like giving me a sound is just incredible. It's you know, it's those little baby steps that make it a you know, a big change. And so those baby steps are the big ones. I'm curious as a parent, when they see like this one little victory, mm-hmm. does that help them kind of buy into the process that, okay, we, we've got this little victory here. This isn't time wasted. My child right. is doing better. And maybe they expand their acceptance of things that you're teaching them to do at home. Yeah. I mean, I think so to a, to a degree. Yeah. They, especially the ones who, um, cause I do home health as well. So the ones who see um, are in the sessions or they can hear they're like a, you know earshot away they can hear it um i think it's super helpful because you know they see like how much time is spent and then you get that one little like like vowel sound or like you know a kid saying more or something super simple that we take for granted because you know we never had any issues with that um but yeah it, it gives them hope it gives them you know like a light at the end of the tunnel so like I always do, I, I just think, uh, what's going on? What's going on on a cellular level? How is this happening? And you're dealing with the end product of this, which is necessary, which communication is the key. So uh, I've never told you this. I don't think I've ever told you this either. But anyways, I grew up, um, I was a, a really bad stutterer. Mm. And so my ability to, to communicate was really limited, like for the first six uh, the first six grades and I was put in remedial classes because they just assumed that I was stupid and what I did is rather than stutter I did a a type of stuttering called blocking where I could see the word coming and I'm like I'm gonna stutter on that word really yeah no yeah it was bad (laughs) Um, and so I would block and then I could not get the word out, and then it just became this facial contortion thing. So I'm extremely empathetic to the fact that communication is how you're labeled. So if you cannot articulate yourself, oh, he's so articulate, he must be intelligent. If you cannot verbalize what's going on, then so I'm really, um, uh, well, I went through speech pathology for years. And then when I, uh, so I didn't learn Spanish as a child. I learned Spanish as an adult um, in uh, med school. I went back to the same speech pathologist that I went to when I was a child. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, crap, you're greedy. He's like, do you know how bad you were? And now you want to like not stutter in another language? Because it all kicked back in. And then it, it, mm-hmm. tremendous anxiety and everything. So the ability to actually communicate and a speech pathologist role to help somebody do that, whether it's somebody post-stroke, whether it's somebody that is autistic, whether it's somebody that stutters, is incredible because we're judged by how we actually articulate. Mm-hmm. And it's the social norm. Um, and I love how you're saying that if I can get somebody to just acknowledge, I can see that they're getting it. Yeah, That's yeah. what's cool. There's something in there. Mm-hmm. And I want to... Um, my my passion is the gut brain access and i believe that autism is really no different than dementia it's overactivity it's really no different than stuttering it's activity in a certain neural complex which prevents you from having the appropriate connection it's all electrical mm-hmm. and there's some really cool stuff johns hopkins is going to do a study on a molecule called sulforaphane coming up um to because they're showing some de- some improvement with that if we can find this and so the reason why i think it's so interesting that we talk about diet because i've seen in my own practice autistic their 16 year olds because that's the earliest i can see them when we improve their gut health their brain health improves so to anybody that's listening that has an autistic child i think that people like you are making a huge difference and I think that we have to continue to realize that that there are people out there working on the cellular level and there are people out there working on the functional level. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're doing. Yeah. You're changing the moment. It's great if I say, oh, hang in there for 10 years. There's a drug or a new study that'll come out, but you're grinding it out. That's what I love. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. What's your favorite thing at that job? Um, no session, no day is the same. 
you're always keeping you on your toes all the time. Keeps it fun. And you get to play with kids. It's great. <laughs> it sounds creepy when a guy says it, but yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So Eric, Eric actually tried to be an at-home speech pathologist, but I mean, for some reason, showing up in the windowless van, yeah. just kind yeah. of a... Uh, you just said candy on the outside. Yeah, yeah no one's going to open the door. No, no. no. They asked, why do you want to do this? I just want to hang out with kids. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you, Panise, so much for coming. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. What an incredible show. I you know, can't I, wait. To I just love this. it. I mean, I just admire you so much. You, um, this is like, like we talked about the whole show. It's a story of endurance, of perseverance, mm -hmm. of being open yeah. and vulnerable. Last episode, we talked about being open and what makes people oh, that way. Yeah. And every characteristic that we talked about, you absolutely show the willingness to see new ideas, try, mm -hmm. just get out there. And if you don't succeed, just keep adapting. Yep. Slowly. It's the only way. So where are you, uh, I'm gonna put you on the spot again. Yes. Where are you at 10 years from now? <clears throat> 10 years from now, hopefully still in remission. Um, hopefully, I mean. She said that then, and she kind of looked at me like, well, I don't know if you can you, keep me in remission. Yeah, that's on you. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, hopefully in remission. You know, hopefully I went to grad school and accomplished that because, you know, working on that right now. Um, maybe working in a hospital, maybe having my own private practice, something, something along those lines. Oh. Now, I don't know. You, you didn't prompt me because I don't know, but I don't know if Panese is one of the uh, Crohn's patients that we have currently that is taking Atron Teal and uh, CBD combo. Is that? I was just on the CBD. Just on the CBD. Mm -hmm. So, that's great. I, I, okay, yeah, that's what I wanted to get yeah. was your perspective and what you felt. Did you, did you have more control over? Yeah, I mean, so the, the thing is, I overall, it, I felt great. Um, but because knock on wood again, thank you, Remicade. I've been feeling pretty good sure. majority of the time. I don't really have too many, um, you know, issues, maybe little tiny flares here and there, but nothing too big. Um, so overall, yeah, I just feel good and I sleep well, you know, no, no complaints. No, that's, that's the awesome part. I get to see the patients when they come through, just mm -hmm. like you've been through. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a handful that have just verbalized. I don't, I don't worry so much about taking whether it happens to be uh, Remicade or anything else like that is often, or they're able to space it out just simply because they feel like that they have controlled their inflammatory process. They don't have the flare ups like that anymore. Yeah. I mean, obviously they're adhering to a specific diet for them, mm -hmm. but it's, it's curious because it, CBD to me four years ago, I didn't, I didn't believe the hype at all. Yeah. I had to wait till we proved it clinically before I even thought there was anything mm -hmm. to it. Well, we, this is, this is where I want to end up in 10 years. I want to end up with, um, the ability to heal people's guts their intestines so that we decrease neuroinflammation and it all comes down to overactivity. Mm -hmm. Your Crohn's is because your immune system is overactive. Mm -hmm. All we gotta do is ratchet it back a little bit. And fortunately, Remicade figured out um, by doing it in one particular manner that mm -hmm. worked really well, works really well for you. Mm -hmm. I've got a lot of patients it doesn't, yeah. and I'm not bashing Remicade at all, we love, mm -hmm. all, and that's why we try these different biologics. That's why Reed had an anaphylactic shock and he had to go on Humira. And as doctors, you just sit there and you're like, wow. Contrary to what people think, we really all want a cure for this. Sure. We really want a cure. We, I could sit here and do, if I had, my 10-year my goal is just, um, well, this show is huge and we've got, you know, we're, we're having fun doing it still in 10 years. Yeah. Because I like doing it. And then I leave the show and I do like 20 hemorrhoids and then I just go home. <laughs> Wow. I so, love hemorrhoids. Sounds like a good life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big goals. <laughs> Big goals. Yeah. It has nothing to do with, uh, you know. <laughs> Someday I'll have a full tank of gas. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, maybe I'll have a new pair of jeans. I don't know. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's the little thing. It's, yeah. dude, keep your, I mean, live the dream. Just keep the dream real accessible. <laughs> yeah. And you'll Attainable be goals, you know? Attainable goals. Yeah. That's all you need. <laughs> It's a weird way to end that episode, but yeah. <laughs> well, I want to. Well, we're almost done. I want to ask one other thing here. Yeah. Just uh, let's do a shout out to your mom because oh, yeah. yes. she suffered a lot through all this. She really did. I love you, mom. Thank you for everything. Smile, wave at the camera. Thanks, you.
Love you. There we go. <laughs> the best mom ever. Can you say, I love you, mom, in Farsi? Do say that, mom. Nice. And a big shout out to all the parents of all the yes, kiddos that suffer from all kinds of diseases mm-hmm. like that. I mean, you're your kid's champion. And, uh, <laughs> this is the, look at the camera one more time. This is the beautiful face of Crohn's disease. <laughs> yes. Think of right Crohn's there. and see my face. There we go. That is yeah. it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And this is the beautiful face of a janitor at uh, a, Camp Sweeney. Camp Sweeney. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's been a little while, but yeah. <laughs> well, is that it? I think that is a great episode. I think it's very touching. I want to thank Dr. Mike Weisberg for telling yes. his story. That is very compelling. Go over and uh, get the book in the end. You can see by the way he writes that, and that was like five minutes. Like, yeah. like I mean, you know, his his novels are incredible. Um, I want to thank you so much, Penise, for coming on and Thanks sharing. I know that it's like really personal and stuff, but we just need to get the word out to the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, Camp Oasis. Thank you so much for everything that you guys do for all of this. And ultimately, I'm hoping that through some polyphenols like Atrantil and CBD, we can start making people feel better, heal their guts, heal their brain, stop the immune system, and we will eventually get to the point where we would talk. Remember that time when people used to develop Crohn's? Yeah. That, that would be a great day to get to. In fact, you could help them get to that day by donating to the Crohn's and Ulcerative Colitis Foundation. And if you go to gutcheckproject.com, check the show notes for this show. We will be certain to have the links to, you can check out um, uh, Camp Oasis, how to be a volunteer, how to give to uh, Crohn's and UC. It's, yeah, it's it should be a goal for you. And if you go to kbmdhealth.com and put in uh, code Persian Princess, but it has to be in Farsi, you get 120% <laughs> off. Yeah, good luck getting that keyboard. <laughs> I have it. I'm going to go use it right now. Oh, no! <laughs> Eric, we're losing money. This is not going to work. <laughs> Don't do that. Okay, never mind. I, I retract the Persian Princess code in Farsi. <laughs> Thank you all very much for tuning in to Gut Check Project Panese. Thank you so much for making time for us today. Of course. Thanks for having me. You bet. Awesome. See you all later.